In this episode, I interview Carl Boutet, an expert in e-commerce and retail innovation. Carl discusses his passion for teaching and his involvement with the Retail Innovation Lab at McGill University. Carl also explored the e-commerce trend in Asia, including the rise of shoppable video, live shopping, and the integration of digital and physical experiences. He highlights the importance of transition to a cookie-less world and the opportunities and challenges of the retail media. In this conversation, Carl also discussed the role of artificial intelligence in retail and the concept of the Retail Relevance Index. He also shares insight from his book, The Great Acceleration, which explores the impact of the pandemic on the retail industry. Tune in for another insightful episode about retail innovation and sustainability initiatives. Welcome to the Ecom Pulse, your heartbeat to the world of e-commerce. Join us as we meet industry leaders, innovative entrepreneurs, and passionate professionals who are at the forefront of the e-commerce revolution. From groundbreaking technologies to marketing magic, Ecom Pulse is your insider's guide to all things e-commerce. So plug in, gear up, and get ready for a pulse-pounding journey into the heart of e-commerce. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Ecom Pulse podcast. I'm your host, Eitan Kotter. I have a special guest today, Carl Boutet. Welcome, Carl. How are you? I am great and excited to be here and jam all things e-commerce and such a rapidly evolving place that we're all trying to keep up with. Sure, sure. So, Carl, thank you so much. I mean, we've been trying to schedule this uh, for a while, and uh, obviously it was very, very important for me to have you on the show with all your background and history. So why don't we start to, for you telling the audience about who, who you are, about your professional background, and you can start whenever you want that you feel is relevant, you know, for this. Uh, so so you don't want me to go back to my days of being a paper boy <laughs> and working in the corner store? Everyone um, has a story. Everything is important. Right? <laughs> I, I guess my real retail, uh, although I did have quite a few uh, projects or, or, or jobs before that, but I guess my real retail uh, career started with my own um, national retail uh, project across Canada, launching the first wave of wireless and how that sort of extends into our conversation possibly today was one of those projects within that um, that time, which was launching uh, Cantel with Price Club, which is now Rogers and Costco. Yeah. Uh, I had the opportunity to be sort of a third party or one of the first third party members of Costco.ca as they were lifting up in the early 2000s, their wow. e-commerce. Um, so yeah. I sort of saw that being built out and actually most of the role I played there wasn't actually digital. It was actually on the supply uh, mm -hmm. chain side because they didn't really know how to manage. And we had some infrastructure in place already supporting our own store network. So they we leveraged that to sort of support their first uh, e their first steps into e-com and, and, and direct drop ship. So that was my beginning uh, in, in, in e-commerce and then mm -hmm. you know sort of evolved over the years and helped businesses of all sizes navigate the quote-unquote digital transformation, which in large part meant uh, sort of finding their way into e-commerce, uh, or as I also like to call it, e-influence. And then they, uh, you know, then I've basically uh, spent the last seven years uh, with my own advisory work with Studio RX, where I work with retailers, again, of all sizes around the world, 
and as well uh, with uh, technology providers starting helping them better navigate the retail waters. And uh, last but not least, still importantly, gotten more into teaching and working with uh, Next Generation in the last uh, few years at McGill University and the Asian Institute of Technology. Yeah. I mean, so you are using all your experience and you like teaching, you like sharing your, you know, your knowledge, consulting, any special reason why you took this, this route? I mean, why you, how come you're so passionate about that? Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, I don't know where exactly it comes from. I think I enjoy the energy. I, I think mm-hmm. if you're going to work in this space and, and sort of touch on innovation, which is kind of, the, I guess, the general catalyst of all this is, is you need to stay close to the new ideas and, and they tend to emerge uh, <laughs> from the newer generation. So I've, I yeah. think it's a, it's a win-win for me. I definitely get a lot out of teaching and sharing and getting that, you know, getting that back in, in spades. And also one of the reasons why I've invested uh, some, you know, considerable amount of my time also in, in, in Asia at the Institute of Technology, teaching digital marketing and analytics there. Because mm-hmm. um, as we know, Asia is a very, is a fascinating marketplace when it comes to retail technology and, and consumer behavior. So, uh, and then here at McGill, we have a, a Part of the group that stood up the retail innovation lab as well so it's, yes. it's full circle i guess it's it's as much i enjoy sharing as i, I enjoy learning and learning sure sure so you mentioned you're advising to mcgill retail innovation club and obviously you're teaching so tell us more about the retail innovation lab I mean, what are the things that you're working on um, so the McGill Retail Innovation Lab uh, was announced back in 2017, which is how I got involved with with the school in the first place, just sort of supporting it from afar and, and looking at the exploring different opportunities as I was actually in the process of uh, looking to stand up a, a retail lab in, in Montreal because we have a lot of retail technologies here as well. Not as many mm-hmm. as uh, as where you are, in the, in the very, <laughs> but you know we we aspire to that maybe one day, and uh, and then when the school <clears throat> was announced through the Benson School uh, of Retail Management, and that there would be a, a portion of the school that would be dedicated to a lab, that's how I, I first got involved, and we were looking at different projects, sort of sandbox uh, concepts, and then uh, along came. Uh, a group called uh, Alimentation Couchetard, which in the rest of the world is known as Circle K, which yeah. is sort of the second largest convenience store chain in the world after 7-Eleven, mm-hmm. but is, you know, touches on a bunch of different aspects. And uh, so we became sort of their retail innovation lab in many ways. Uh, they have others, and but in sort of fully dedicated is the one where we uh, focus more on frictionless checkout and, and that, you know, some of the new technologies that they're exploring. So fun to be a part of that. I'm not really part of the day-to-day yeah. of that operation, but I'm uh, I'm close to it and uh, sharing a lot of the knowledge from that as well. Amazing. And this is something that the students there are researching and analyzing or just yeah. is, uh, is like an ecosystem of tech startups or is it both? Yeah, it's not, or it's not it? quite an ecosystem, but there yeah. are some uh, startups, some Montreal startups. Uh, shout out to C2RO that's in the computer vision space that are, are, are in there helping with some of the analytics that the mm-hmm. researchers are definitely sure. using. So it's mostly for yeah, you know, our PhD and postdoc students that are are writing, uh, doing research and writing papers around different consumer behavior uh, subjects, and some of it can be or it could be predictive uh, modeling um, that uh, uh, our friends like Maxim Cohen, uh, who's actually 
a a graduate uh, from Tel Aviv. Um, okay. Came, uh, you know, he's he's one of our. He's actually one one of our co-directors. Uh, we have computer a lot of computer vision stuff. Obviously, is 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 uh, front front and center. But pricing, uh, uh, demand prediction, uh, path to purchase. Uh, 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 sustainability and health. Um, we have a medical school, so they, you know, that's always interesting to see how we can combine these different departments and what they're looking into uh, around, like you know, food access and and how to nudge healthier uh, consumption patterns and things like that. So there's a ton of research. Uh, we could share a white paper that we sort of broke down some of the, you know, distilled some of that research um, and make that, you know, it's, a, it's widely available. So happy to share that link with your yes, audience. Yes, yes. It's very, very interesting. Please share it. We put it in the show notes. And, and I'm really, really, you know, super interested about your time in, in Asia, right? And I know you spent time in China. You even, you know, been there before COVID broke up, right? In Wuhan, right? Yeah, I mean, that was literally sort of the big, the beginning of uh, my great acceleration, which is a book I wrote uh, on the yes. topic of how digital transformation sort of really sped up uh, and imposed on us by the uh, the factors that the pandemic uh, brought upon. But I was in China, yeah, for in mid January 2020, literally a couple of days before Wuhan. Wow, book that I was in Shanghai. Um, but I, uh, but that was, yeah, I spend most of my time in Southeast Asia. So I teach, mm -hmm. uh, the main campus is based in Bangkok and, uh, and the satellite, um, uh, campus, uh, that I teach at are in Vietnam and in, in Ho Chi Minh and in Hanoi. So, um, yeah, it's just amazing to see sort of the whole ecosystem and I'm sure we'll get into sort of what those platforms can look like and the whole rise of exactly. super apps and live, you know, live shopping obviously played a really big part in that. Exactly. And we know that Asia market is a few years ahead of a North American market in terms of e-commerce, you know, adoption, e-commerce in general, definitely volumes. And, you know, in this podcast, we talk a lot about shoppable video, live shopping, and I think it's one of the. Absolutely. Key drivers definitely in Asia. So, what, what are the you know what have you learned there? What are the trends that you see there? That you know, how do you see they're being adopted? You know, in the Western world. So, I mean, I think it's first it's important to sort of uh, not lump all Asia in the same basket because Asia is massive and there's a lot of pe a lot of parts to it. So there's China, okay. yep. you know, which is which is at that fifty percent e-commerce rate, which is mind-boggling, and it's has much to do with Alibaba and JD.com and these mm -hmm. sort of the platforms and the uh, the whole infrastructure that they've brought that have, that have you know and the density of the populations they have that have made all this sort of business model work a lot more efficiently yep. than we've seen in other parts of the world. So not to say that it's easily uh, uh, be replicated easily wherever else outside of China, but that's sort of the, the high, high watermark, which is easily twice <laughs> as much as probably the next best. Um, then you have the rest of Asia, which is, I guess we could qualify mainly in, in, under the emerging markets framework, which is fascinating. Yes. I've always I've also paid a lot of attention to those and I mean, Latin America, Africa, but uh, you know, I had this got I mean, this opportunity to spend more time in, in Southeast Asia, which allows you to leapfrog certain elements. So lot, take a lot of the lessons learned that the quote unquote developed countries have worked through over decades and sort of just jump right to, you know, best of breed. And we've seen things like with Shopee yeah. Uh, in in Southeast Asia, which is or, or a shopping super app, obviously Lazada mm -hmm. as well. That's part of the Alibaba ecosystem. Um, so they're close to China. They have that influence. They they're able to see it more clearly. Now, what needed to catch up were the logistics and the payment processing and all the other sort of 
connective tissues of e-commerce yes. in the background, but are crucial to making even the sexiest of technology work, right? If I could have the best uh, go-to-market e-com technology, if I don't have the back end to support it, it becomes really, really troubling. And one such market I actually spent quite a bit of time not in, but studying and working with from afar, it was Nepal. I, I had some, I had some uh, friends there, actually, they were tied to the Asian Institute of Technology who went back to Kathmandu at the beginning of the pandemic, and you saw this explosion. When I talk about great acceleration, this was, this was definitely one of those markets where, for example, digital payment just went through the roof. They had, it was pretty mm -hmm. much unexistent before the pandemic and had to rapidly catch up gotcha. and again go yeah. best of breed uh, with companies like Daraz, which is another e-commerce platform that's part of the Lazada ecosystem for emerging mm -hmm. markets. So uh, so you witness all this with the logistics and everything else. So the platforms, you know, is for them is sort of the easy piece. It's everything else in these massive populations. Obviously, Vietnam's 100 million people, right? So these are these are big, big markets with big a, numbers, a rising yeah. middle class too that is a big piece of why e-commerce has risen so quickly in China. Yes. I'm sure like in the US, uh, right, North America, you see different communities around different, you know, apps, right? So you have any, any brands who want to distribute today, you need to take into consideration, you know, the meta application, right? And then, and then TikTok and, and you have Amazon and of course, all the different marketplaces and you have, you know, the, uh, you know, uh, the Snap organization. And I mean, it's like communities around, it's so complex, right? And like in Asia, they uh, one app, like the, you mentioned the Lazada or the Shopee, they're able to consolidate, you know, huge amount of people under their environment with this super app. So I guess, I guess it's really, really different, right? The environment and the, you know, that's the way that's, that's from Britain, the way they, you know, uh, organize themselves around communities here. And it's, um, definitely a different journey different journey it's so, a different approach too because i think yeah. here one of the reasons especially we think about the marketplace approach with amazon or, or even using walmart or, or mm -hmm. tesco or independent or different parts of Carrefour of the world you are you know you almost feel like it's there's a bit of a, a holdback because you're like i'm supporting my competitor in some ways possibly right especially if i'm, <laughs> if I'm a retail brand yeah but, or i want to be careful because there's been a lot of pushback on well, you know, we see Amazon in front of Department of Justice in the U.S. and we're on some anti-competitive issues. So we want to, you know, the brands are a bit like, well, should I, shouldn't I? And whereas in China, Alibaba doesn't, doesn't, you know, it's a platform. It doesn't compete when you talk about the super apps, obviously. Uh, WeChat and the whole Tencent ecosystem is, yeah. you know, is, you can't live without that in China. Or uh, So the WePay, Alipay, all these these things, these are... But they don't, they're not seen as competitive. Shopee, the same thing in, in Southeast Asia. They're just seen as platforms, sort of like Shopify is seen, you know, here in, in yeah. North America. They, they, don't, yeah. they won't go out and, and start selling their own products like Amazon will or private label products like, you know, the Walmarts and everybody else too that could leverage that data. So there's always a bit of a back and forth. Now, you know, Snap doesn't have that. Meta doesn't have that. Google doesn't have yeah. that. But they're, they were so fragmented again that there's sort of this need to sort of tie that all together and make it easy for the for the brands to quickly reach those customers without having to go through each channel individually. Yes, correct. Right. Specifically, you know, if you want to elaborate more on the shoppable video right mm -hmm. uh, opportunity, and obviously, you know, I'm differentiating between live shopping and let's call it, you know, video commerce. Right. I think yeah. it's a different thing. There's a different opportunity mm -hmm. and market uh, characteristics. So, I mean. Being there, uh, both in China and Southeast Asia, and obviously living in uh, North America, how do you see, you know, the the 
you know, the transition from Asia to the Western world by Night all day, these, you know, honestly, shoppable, I mean, shoppable tools. Yeah. Yeah. Especially China. I mean, Southeast Asia is, is quite high as well. I think, you know, there's the whole entertainment aspect that is, is big and, and yeah. sort of the reflex. I think we, we, we tend to use e-commerce more as a utility um, in the West. Like we see it as sort of a, a very convenient, easy way to, to make impulse a purchase. purchase. Yeah. Whereas in 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 the East or the, you know especially China, it's sort of you know I want to be entertained, so I'm going to kind of go through these uh, channels, you know, be it Tmall or or uh, Shopee Video or whatever that will mm -hmm. sort of inspire me and make it a lot more interesting. As much as I might want to watch a TV show, they'll watch shoppable video as a way to be to to be entertained, and yeah. then the consumption will sort of trigger after off of that. So that's why you mm -hmm. have these KOLs, right? That are these key opinion leaders that are yep. massive in these massive, markets yeah. that, that, are, that that are drawing crowds. I remember a statistic in China where I think this is already two years ago, where the top KOL was generating more revenue than Carrefour was at the time, when <laughs> they're the largest foreign platform in China, right? Yeah. So one influencer, obviously, with a whole a massive team behind them, but could could generate that kind of that kind of uh, revenue. So there's. There's clearly a place, and I mean, I'd like to bring get the conversation maybe even towards something I've called, been calling e-commerce for mm -hmm. for a while, immersive commerce, because I think there's this catch up too around the technology and and the tools that we need to make this also more of a reality. Yes. But there's 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 definitely a trend towards more immersive, richer content, and more dynamic. I think you know we're thankfully starting to get away now from the 2D sort of sta static web mm -hmm. page. Uh, yeah, e-commerce into something. Hopefully, it's a lot more exciting. More 3D, more immersive type of experience, right? Yeah. Exactly. And also, you know, you see the efforts TikTok are making, trying to you know push you know North American you know consumers to push. Uh, initially, they were trying to position themselves as an entertainment platform. Then, obviously, as as a search platform, and I think they've been very successful in both. But now they are claiming that every video in in, in TikTok is can be shoppable, right? So. I mean, is it too much? You know, it's. I mean, entertainment is more kind of a lean, you know, lean back type of experience, and actually making a purchase is more, you know, you know, energetic or lean forward type of experience. I think this, you know, use cases of human behavior still needs to be proven, right? Yeah, I mean, TikTok is is mm. been on everybody's lips for the last twelve, twenty four months, especially in North sure. America, where they've been trying to make entry into the market. Uh, I believe they're probably underestimating the logistics component because they're trying to set up sort of their own 3PL system and partner yeah. with different logistics companies. Mm -hmm. And and it's hard. I mean, that's one piece that Amazon clearly has has nailed. Um, and But they're missing the whole inspiration part, whereas yeah. TikTok is all inspiration. And the key word you said earlier, can be shoppable. Let's just hope it's not you know, the idea is we don't want it to become yeah, all it's going to be something balls. else. Yeah, it's you going to be you like still a... need to find that balance. But, yeah. but don't forget everybody's path to monetization and profitability, regardless of the platform, is consumption, right? So so the idea that you can become a vehicle or a conduit for consumption is is a you know, is is a at certain point you have to get there. You if you want to keep growing and showing top line revenue growth, you have to um, forge a path. To that, uh, to that reality that you are going to be a consumption uh, aggregator of some sort. Yeah. Uh, so it depends from which end you're starting. I think where TikTok is starting from is really interesting, and um, and you're seeing different partnerships, different 
you know, they're, so they they know and their algorithms are, are incredibly powerful. They have probably the best uh, influenced algorithms yeah. out there. So that's what yeah. everybody's expecting now. Mm-hmm. Well, geopolitics uh, come into come into play, especially in North America. I, I, I suspect you know there will be something at some point there. Um, and will logistics definitely be a complexity that so far is just not in their it's just not in the way they, they seem to be they seem to think you know I think for them it's sort of that's that's easy stuff and they see how yeah. it played out in China the reality is it's you know North America and 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 Western you know the Western world doesn't have the same real logistical realities that China has yes 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 and specifically for some of the retail trends that uh, you know you've been discussing about the you know the blurring of digital and physical what what, what do you see in this yeah, channel you know and, and digital yeah. you know type of uh, trends yeah that's been a key theme of mine for a decade now yeah. this idea that we spend a lot of time I, uh, you know i'm guilty of this as well of sort of talking in either or sort of or framing it as either mm-hmm. or and, and you know this mm-hmm. is physical commerce this is digital commerce or e-commerce or whatever and and often sharing statistics that sort of show that dichotomy um and that it's sort of a, 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 a that it's that it's 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 one or the other when the reality is it's one plus the other yes there are some digital you know native whatever the brands that will be continue to live predominantly in digital, but they're less and less. They realize that they need those physical channels uh, to to even just build brand equity. Yeah. But uh, the, I think obviously the contrary has been even more true, where the physical first brands and retailers have needed you know strong digital muscles, and that's the way I, the analogy I tend to make is this whole body analogy, where it's like if you just had a strong right arm and your left arm was useless, you need you know you how resilient would your body be, and how could you? <laughs> yeah. Sort of deal with the shocks that yeah. the market control can send your way, which you know, we saw the pandemic was clearly a massive shock that destabilized probably eighty percent of retailers that just weren't ready for it. Yeah, the twenty percent that were though, and I'm just throwing that in a number just because it's usually like a Pareto thing, but you know it, 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 they were they clearly benefited massively. I'll give the example here in the furniture industry, Wayfair, that was really struggling up until the pandemic. Okay. And, the pand- and when the pandemic hit, well, obviously they were perfectly positioned to to furnish the homes that everybody was stuck in because mm-hmm. they were built on that premise. Whereas some of the more traditional furniture retailers who'd been saying for the past decade, nobody buys a couch online, got caught a little flat footed. So now yeah. I'm using that almost as a caricature, but it's true, right? So how... How? What are those investments? What are those reflexes? And how do we get to this blur where we stop sort of focusing on what sets them apart and really put our energy into what makes one and the yeah. other better? And that's why I've been talking about. Why I talk sort of facetiously about the fifty-fifty, a blurring of physical and digital, yeah. so that we get to that point, we stop talking about it, right? Because we're not going to even see the difference. It's going to become almost irrelevant how we how we differentiate them because it's it's just the same path to purchase, and every day we see new uh, new examples of that showing up. Yes, I mean it's interesting because you see the like you know retailers are trying to introduce physical experiences to digital. Uh, journeys right yeah and also on the offline location like the actual stores the you know with retail media they're trying to excel and elaborate you know and, and elevate elevate digital experience with you know digital signage and qr codes and experience like that obviously it's pushed by tech okay, i guess i know there are a lot of technologies around yeah. you know all these you know digital to physical uh migrations and yeah. integrations and uh, it's interesting it's interesting and i think there is a really 
uh, a demand for that also from shoppers uh, having this mixed call it like mixed reality of experiences and it's gonna be fast it's gonna be fascinating yeah. going forward even because i don't know about you but you know, if you have kids and you see around you how they consume media yeah. in the way that they engage with these immersive environments be it fully virtual in some cases yes. uh, to sort of augment it or whatever i mean for them it's it's really natural right and and the the, the factor in here that we tend to forget because you're right it is technologically driven as well mm -hmm. yeah. is 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 moore's law right is the fact that the compute just keeps on going up and up the cost of that compute keeps going down and down yeah. and it yeah. just makes these experiences more and more cost effective and richer at the same time which means at some point you know something's going to give now you know we're we're talking today is you know the, the talk of the town is, is is vision pro and these things i mean we're still not there yet but you know you know what i'm you know but you can start seeing clearer and clearer where this is all kind of headed and and that's what i keep when i i, I do a lot of speaking as well i, I do a lot mm -hmm. of keynote speaking and i've asked in most of my conferences i mean how many people here in this room of 500 a thousand whatever believe that five years from now commerce is going to be less digitally influenced wow that's a good i one. haven't seen a hand yeah. go up yet yeah what yeah. does that mean? Does it mean now like people are like, yeah, but people still like to shop in store. Obviously they still love to shop in store. I hope they do. And I, mm -hmm. I mean, that's again, back to the dichotomy. Well, if it's, you know, that it, that it's a zero sum. No, no, these are complementary. So the idea is if the path to purchase is to be more digitized, which again, nobody's raised their arm. I'm looking forward to the day. Somebody says, no, no, I think we're, you know, and, and there are going to be concepts that are actually mm -hmm. going to be counter, you know, counter current as there always is. But, the majority of it is is going to grow and we'll see that you know that path to purchase when we say more digitized things like shoppable video obviously is a big is a part of that just this richer yeah. more immersive the e-commerce thing again coming more and more to, to to fruit with better hardware better software better bandwidth better everything right so sure. just like if you're betting against that you know, if you're betting that those things aren't going to happen, that we're not going to have better software, we're not going to have better hardware, and we're not going to have better bandwidth and processing, hmm. I don't know if I want to be. I want to be on that end of the bet. Yeah, correct. I mean, there's another version, interesting, you know, interesting uh, use case for that is like social shopping. Again, not purchasing or in the social networks, but inviting your friends to purchase together with you in in kind of a immersive yeah. environment shopping is, and, you know that's yeah. that's that's a great point i mean it, at the core you know shopping especially the way we've seen it in the last 50 years since sort of the rise of the middle class and having more mm -hmm. leisure and time is very much a social activity right and that was one of, of the course. pushbacks when people were sort of talking about while well, e-commerce is going to you know, eat the world is like well people like to be together people like to shop together so is there going to be these you know is technology going to facilitate that in the way that Get, my kids are coming together virtually with their friends and doing things virtually. Are they going to be doing more of that? I mean, I, I hope they're still going to be physically getting together as well, too. I, mm -hmm. God forbid that everybody stays in their in their basements and this turns into yeah. Wally. But it's uh, it's more the the idea that again, you can't bet against the technology, and it's sort of irrelevant because as the technology becomes more and more. Uh, a part of our of our being, like you know, we don't want to get too sci-fi here, but as the thing sort of the glasses get better and the audio gets better and everything becomes more contextual, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, and I know, like we haven't even used the word. I think we're probably the first podcast in the last two years not to use the word AI in, in yeah. 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and that, metaverse, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe well, I said VR, you know, so I was yeah. sort of, you know, a little, little metaverse there for a second. But I mean, you can't completely uh, uh, discount all, all that. So. Yeah. I, again, I'm not. Uh, I'm not suggesting that it's all going to be. And there's going to be some really cool farmers markets out there. They're going to have. They're going to yeah. basically not even allow you to walk into them with any sort of digital device on you because they want you to live this sort of very organic experience. But yeah. is that going to be the majority of what we're going to be living through in five, ten years from now? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So, Carlo, I mean, we're going to a cookieless world where there is like an, uh, a dramatic mm-hmm. shift. Right in yeah. the way advertisers are targeting, and obviously retailers, the online retailers are able to provide this first first party data, and uh, the retail media media is emerging. It's a real, real, real you know business and an opportunity these days. And Massive. I mean, how do you see these two you know dramatic shifts are you know evolving? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about we've been talking about preparing for cookie list for some time now and it, <laughs> it's funny because it doesn't seem like the, the sky has fallen yet as no i mean you see facebook facebook ads are i mean it's growing i mean the in the latest you know uh, report yeah analyst report yeah. i mean they actually their their overall revenues are increasing and post cookie list world so interesting yeah stuff. well let's you know and let's remind i think right now for chrome it's less than five percent that they've actually yeah. pulled the, co- the cookies from so it's yes. not all done yes. yet but yes. uh let's let's but let's use that though as an incentive and an important one to drive sort of the first party data behavior that mm-hmm. we've seen with the rise of actually rich loyalty programs not just i'm collecting your data and giving you a, a irrelevant coupon in exchange like you know let's get some really good reasons to offer uh, and collect that first party data so that that is definitely part of it so the platforms you're right i mean i think that's that's a trend that i don't we do we don't want to get away from i think we want to make sure that we're delivering on that value and, and collecting the data that in a way that it's uh, safe and and respects uh, all the sort of contextual constraints but uh, that is still uh, yes. for both parties for the for the brand and and the consumer uh, and then how, how that sort of relates to retail media is 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 you know that's going to be really fascinating to see because again Amazon's blown our minds, right? Forty-seven billion dollars. And yes. you, you recognize that's the same revenue that the large. I just gave you a furniture example earlier. <laughs> you know that that's the revenue of the largest furniture retailer in the world, and they do that in retail media. I'm referring to yeah. IKEA's global uh, revenues, forty-seven revenues. billion dollars. So Amazon wow. just with their retail media is matching IKEA's revenue. I mean, just think about that. And by yes. the way, and it's growing way it's, it's, it's than growing. The trajectory is 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 that is huge. I mean, it's very very yeah, intense. Yeah. It's going up and up and up. And even before discussing, you know, the big screen, CTVs. I mean, Amazon Prime, you know, Apple TV, Netflix, Disney. Yeah. And how do you see the integration of these shoppable experiences? You know, in well, the here's the thing. I mean, obviously, it's huge, and it's going to be. When I talk about immersive commerce, this is all part of it, right? It's the exactly. idea that it's just sure. going to be more native. It's just going to feel yeah. more organic. It's just going to, you know, work its way through in ways that are more interesting, quite honestly, mm-hmm. in, and into our lives. So that's that's the upside. I think that's really important, and brands are going to have to be there. That's not an if; it's they have to be there. As most, it's pretty hard to be a, a global brand today and not have some sort of 
strat- retail media strategy with Amazon yes. and, and, and Walmart and some of these. Like right now, you'd, you, you'd be crazy not to, to make it part of your book. Now, two things I'm concerned about, and maybe my concerns are overblown, but the first one uh, is I want to make sure that it's not a tax. Because what I'm reading right now with Amazon specifically is it's like a pay to play. And now we even have with this Rufus AI thing, it's getting a little mm-hmm. confusing, like what's what and all that. But I think brands are feeling like it's not, they're doing it not because they necessarily want to, but they have to. Because if they don't do it, if they don't invest, and that's part of that 47 billion and the 15 yep. billion, by the way, just in the last quarter. So if they keep tracking at that, I mean, we'll see that number obviously go up way up still. So the brands feel like it's almost being imposed on them, which is an issue. The second yeah. one, and this is probably even more true in physical space, because don't we think we talk about retail media a lot and very much in a digital landscape. Mm-hmm. It's a digital asset that's going to also be back to my blurring in physical environments, right? So Walmart has more traffic if you count foot traffic and digital traffic than Amazon has. So yes. they're going to want to monetize that. Yes. My second concern is how you know making sure that that experience. Which is, you know, shoppable video obviously has, has I think, an advantage because the production quality hopefully will be better. But mm-hmm. I don't want it to turn into a sports stadium with just logos all over the place yeah. that don't really add value. It just sound, feels like a monetization play. So I want to make sure that they're rich and that they're, they make sense. And I've spoken to some retailers about retail media and they're sort of keeping their distance because they're, they're worried that it's going to detract from the from the experience, the overall experience where the, the yes. merchandising teams and all have worked really hard to create these beautiful environments. And the retail media is going to feel sort of kind of crowbarred in because it's a revenue operate it's a revenue uh, opportunity mm-hmm. that they don't want to miss. That has to be done sort of strategically with the right intentions, but it's unavoidable because it's a revenue channel that Amazon and Walmart and others are going to be showing us now that you're going to just fall further and further behind if you don't do it. It's not like cloud. I mean, cloud AWS. Yeah. Was the only few companies that Walmart didn't spin up their own cloud business, but this they can do. So anybody that has some sort of captive market, and then will be interesting is the whole rise of the networks. You know, the people, the aggregators. Yes. We'll see where they go as well. Yes. Oh, it's interesting. I mean, companies definitely are looking for the sweet spot, right? I mean, trying to maximize, let's say, income opportunities, but on the other hand, you know, maintain brand, uh, you know, uh, loyalty, yeah, control. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go back to my old friends at Costco. They've been very good at. They've had actually their own retail media network. They didn't call it that for mm-hmm. for a long time. Where this all the um, content that shows up on their TV screens when you go through the warehouse, it's their content. You know, they're not yeah. they're not using. Well, sometimes they'll maybe use a manufacturer's like 8K whatever demo, but most of the time they're sort of showing a lot of their own sort of productions and stuff. So I think you controlling that making sure that you're you're like like with shoppable video you want to make sure that it's on brand right you want to make sure that you're not doing something that, that doesn't represent mm-hmm. who you, who it is you are what you're about so yes making sure you're not yes. just jumping on the bandwagon without thinking through sort of the content quality exactly. that actually adds value and there's exactly. just not one more opportunity to monetize your customer interesting interesting times huh Oh, well, that's what I love. You yeah. know, you talked about why I'm interested in next generation, but why am I interested <laughs> yeah. in this? Why my my energy for this sector comes from that is the fact that, yes. you know, you it's always evolving. There's always, always new opportunities. They're not all yes. created equal. They're not made for everybody. But, you know, there's some underlying trends you just cannot avoid. And this is, we're really entering a new era here. I mean, I, I, when I talk about the rise of, uh, of, of retail networks and, and sort of the inter- artificial intelligence or mm-hmm. what that's going to play into all this, I mean, it's like saying 20 years ago, 
you know, you were excited to announce you have a website. I mean, do you know any retailer yeah. or brand today that's going around talking how excited they are about having a website? <laughs> or like 50 years ago, 100 years ago, saying we have electricity. Yeah. I mean, this is yeah. these are like fundamental sort of stages that we're going through. Sure, sure. Carl, I know you talk a lot about the Retail Innovation Index. You want to share mm -hmm. with us what exactly you mean? Um, so the Retail uh, Innovation Index, or are you talking about... Um, like the I emerging business maybe... models, right? And, and the Retail Innovation in, uh, Index that uh, you mentioned. Yeah, so um, it, it's the Retail Relevance Index, I think maybe you're, okay. you're referring to, not the Innovation okay. Index, the Retail Relevance Index. Relevance Index, okay. Yeah, so it's a model that I, uh, I've i been working on also for almost a, well, close to a decade as well, where I've been really been interested in not just what it is to start to sort of keep up with innovation. Let's stop right one second. Sorry, Carl. So let's do that again. I'll just mark here. Clip. So it's the Retail Relevance Index, right? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. the Retail Relevance Index for the past so let decade. Let me ask you. Sorry. Go ahead. Carl. Uh, okay. Carl, I know you, you talk a lot about the Retail Relevance Index. Please share with us what it really yeah, means. So as much as I've been sort of studying and talking about the blurring of digital physical and how we leverage that are emerging technologies to uh, remain relevant in general yeah. to our, our consumer base and our target market. I also have been interested by the idea of what actually does relevance mean? Like, how do I, how do I remain relevant in, through the lens of differentiation? And the mm -hmm. index basically measures four uh, quadrants of, uh, of differentiation, which was being inspired by some research done out of uh, Wharton University at Pennsylvania, uh, Wharton at University of Pennsylvania by Professor Barbara Kahn, who sort of studied sort of these four attributes. I've, I've massaged that a bit. I've put some measurements behind it. And basically seeing these four attributes are pretty straightforward. They're price, convenience, uh, delight, and purpose. You know, So how are you differentiating and how are you using technology back to this uh, what I was just saying about making sure you're not just throwing retail media out there because it's the thing to do. You want to yeah. make sure it's on brand. Well, mm -hmm. part of being on brand is how do you differentiate? How do you remain relevant to your customer base in a way that's true and authentic to, to yourself? So the Retail Relevance Index, the RRI, is basically about measuring that or even just using it as a perceptual tool to have discussions internally with senior leadership and say, okay, are we staying, are we staying the course? Is this where mm -hmm. we want to be? Do we need to shift the course? Do we need to add some attributes? Uh, are we being overly penalized than others? So how do you think about price, convenience, uh, yes. delight, and purpose as ways of uh, remaining relevant uh, to wow. your customer base? How audience can find more information about this index? I'm pretty present on LinkedIn, so I would <laughs> okay, encourage good, them good. to reach out on LinkedIn and happy to share some more content. I wrote that book, The Great Acceleration, but I don't have it on any major platform. I yes, usually keep yes. it for my audiences, um, and uh, so it's something kind of exclusive, but I'm happy uh, if anybody's interested in learning more about the tool and how to use it, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn and happy to good, give them more good, information. Carl, let's talk about the book, The Great Acceleration. Yep. I mean, I know you wrote it, and there is some, like, a lot of insights and knowledge. Maybe yeah. you can just give us the highlights of, uh, you know, what you wrote there and what's uh, coming. Well, it sort of ties everything together, right? And I, I, I was it mentioned the China January 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd been, you know, thinking about working on a book mostly framed in the retail relevance index and the, that differentiation strategy. And then I was sort of at the forefront of this uh, of this great acceleration, it's a term I actually I believe anyway I was the first one I think to coin it 
in April of wow. 2020, uh, just because yeah. I was actually part of a friend's book launch virtual, Steve mm-hmm. Dennis, who uh, who is launching Remarkable Retail, and we were, we were hosting it uh, for him, and we had this discussion again, April 2020. We're just we're like the beginning of lockdown still, and we're trying to ref- already trying to reflect. Uh, with uh, 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 it was a panel with Scott Galloway and it was mm-hmm. Seth Godin there as well, and we're just like, what okay. it, what can be the implications of uh, of this pandemic? You know, in terms of of retail and consumption, and that's where I, I came out with this this notion that we've had the Great Depression, we've had the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Could we? And the word acceleration was on everybody's lips. Everybody was sort of pulling forward these investments that they were planning on doing around more dig- digitizing a big greater part of the yeah. path to purchase. So I said, you know, could we be entering, could this be look, can we look back on this era as the great acceleration? Cause we just, a lot of budgets were shifting. So, on. so that's where the, the sort of thesis for the book was. I didn't want it to just come from, from me. So I went out and interviewed uh, a bunch of really uh, smart people at, from all sectors of, of business talking about how did they perceive the acceleration from real estate to sustainability to um, to technology to obviously all being the common denominator being retail, uh, and the subtitle of the book was the race to retail resilience because the idea was okay we got caught off guard this time how do we not get caught off guard uh, next because that's what I still am going around talking about <laughs> yeah. is saying you know this was a this was a warning shot and, you know, a brutal one that really rattled us to the core but. It doesn't necessarily have to be a health pandemic. It can be geopolitical, uh, which you know, uh, or it could be uh, climate change. Like there's a lot of these shocks that keep on hitting our organizations that we kind of got a pass on this last one because nobody really saw it coming, except for probably Asia, yeah. which were better prepared, especially China, uh, mm-hmm. although they didn't necessarily manage it perfectly either. But all to say that now it's like you know, if you're the CEO of one of these organizations. And something we get hit by something. It could be physical or digital. It can come from both sides. That's why the yeah. body needs to be strong. Well, mm-hmm. this book was sort of written to sort of help them think that through. And we were charting a lot of different sort of impacts along the way, and not just looking at e-commerce, but sort of the ecosystems of you know the click and collect, and 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 uh, the different fintech sort of things that sort of rose from that. So it's a it's sort of a larger picture now. I'm working on the next book, which is going to be focusing more of a sort of what are we not seeing from these emerging technologies or what are we discounting mm-hmm. too frivolously like, uh, you know, the rise of e-commerce where a lot of people sort of roll their eyes now and say, oh, well, here we go. <laughs> you know, your crypto metaverse uh, AI yeah. babble. Well, listen, there's something in there. And if you're just, you know, there's some things worth paying attention to, maybe not for the reasons that you think. Amazing. Amazing. Carl, on a personal note, uh, can you share with us something about yourself that most people in your professional network don't know? <laughs> well, you want me to get personal here? Uh, <laughs> um, well, listen, I mean, I, I, you know, I, 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 if I get on the personal side, I just, you know, I do enjoy the next, you know, this, you asked about the next generation. I have three, yeah. uh, I, you know, older teenage kids, young, mm-hmm. young adults, you know, trying to create an environment, a world that hopefully is beneficial. I think we focus a lot on technology. We have to sort of make sure that we take, keep a big picture around that. Yes. I do support a lot of sustainability initiatives too and sustainable retailing okay. especially. So, I mean, I don't know if that's truly personal, personal, but I think that's sort of, I, I, I try to keep some sort of balance where I'm not just seen as a technologist for technology's sake, but to, to, how do we keep this all in sort of in equilibrium? Um, back but back to the notion that we're there's no putting the genie back in the bottle i mean more's law is advancing or whatever law Mm -hmm. it's going to become once we once once that one tops out 
Um, you know, so I, that's, that's where I think the personal side is. I'm trying to find this balance. And when I teach and I teach emerging technologies and new business models, I try to bring also around privacy and how we leverage data and these things that collect and leverage data. Um, so I try to bring that to my students as well, okay. this sort of the sensitivity to maybe it's just with being in business for 30 years, um, you know, seeing sort of finding this balance is not all in or all out. And that's where yes. maybe back to my blurring, I'm very much into equilibrium. Yes, yes. And I hear there are, we have plenty of topics probably for the next uh, part two of the, of the episode. So wow. Absolutely. it was really, really fascinating, Carl. Thank you so much. So where is the best place to find you? LinkedIn. I mean, yep. I'm a power LinkedIn user. I'm pretty mm -hmm. responsive on it. Have anybody that has engaged with me on it could tell you, uh, including yourself. So yep. I, let's, you know, <laughs> link to Carl Boutet on LinkedIn. Pretty easy to, uh, to find me. Great, Carl. Thank you so much. Wish you all the best. Likewise. Great year. Be well. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Your support means the world to us. If today's episode has been insightful for you, consider sharing it with someone who would also benefit. Even one share can make a big difference. Looking to elevate your e-commerce game? Discover Vimy, a multi-channel e-commerce platform that will transform your business with the power of shoppable video. Visit us at vimi.net to learn more. It's vimi, V-I-M-M-I dot net. Thank you for being part of our journey. Stay tuned for more invaluable insights in our next episode.